How are we doing this morning? Good. Well, greetings from Crowley, Louisiana. <laughs> hey, listen, we're almost coming up on two years in our Crowley location, and I just want to say thank you guys for supporting everything that God has been doing there. And uh, it's just been an incredible journey. It's been so fun, and God has just done so much in a short period of time. So I want to tell you guys thank you for everything that you've guys done for us. Um, this, for me, for 15 years was my home. And uh, so stepping outside of this, it was definitely a faith journey, but God has been so faithful. I'm not saying it's been always easy. Um, It hasn't. But at the same time, God has just been so faithful. God has transformed and touched so many lives. And so we're so thankful for that. And whether you realize it, if you gave to our REACH project in the very beginning, um, you guys played a huge part of that. So give yourselves a hand this morning. Hey, listen, we, uh, if you've been with us, we're in the fifth week. We've been doing this at all of our locations. We're in the fifth week of a series that we're calling We Are. And we're basically taking the summer to study the book of Ephesians. And uh, I want to do something a little bit different this morning. And we're going to be in chapter 5. But uh, a lot of times as preachers and even as people that read the Bible sometimes, um, we try to get through so much content that maybe we grasp a little bit and bits and pieces here and there. So what I want to do this morning, especially within this fast-paced culture, is I want to just kind of slow down a little bit. Um, We live in a go, go, go. Some of you guys, if you stand in McDonald's in line for 30 seconds waiting for french fries, you freak out right? Because you didn't, you didn't get them fast enough. So what I want to do is I want to put the push the pause button and I want to literally go through two verses this morning because I firmly believe this. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 and 2, if you can get these two verses, the rest of the chapter is going to make sense. So we're going to look at two verses. That's it. And I want to kind of drive home a certain point. But before we do, we jump into this. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that we have an opportunity to come to you, to hear your word, where God, so many people all over the world don't have just this simple opportunity to sit in church this morning. God, we're thankful that we're able to do this. God, I pray that it would not just be my words that are spoken today, but God, that you would speak to our hearts. God, that um, that you would help me to remove myself out of the equation. God, that people would see you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Um, and this is what I want to do this morning. How many of you guys ever watched that movie? Or in the very beginning, you're trying to figure out what's going on. And then at the v- very end, it finally makes sense. And you're like, oh, that's why. That's what I want to do this morning. Okay? So I'm going to read these two verses. And then we're going to spend the rest of the time kind of explaining why these are important. And then hopefully at the end, we'll tie it all up. So Ephesians 5, verse 1 through 2. And it says this. Therefore, be imitators of God. As beloved children, and walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So here's what I want to communicate to you today. It is impossible to imitate, to imitate Christ and to walk in love as Christ would command us to do until we actually understand how much God actually loves us. Now, here's what I find a lot in church. It's a cliche that we hear all the time, right? Hey, you don't understand how much God loves us. And so we kind of get that. We know that God loves us a lot. But I think deep down at the core of our being, some of us don't really grasp the great truth of that. We really don't understand what that actually means. So I want to spend some time this morning talking about how significant 
that really is. And I'm going to use a story to kind of help me help illustrate this point. So you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 15, and you can put your finger in verse 11. Now, this is the story, um, a very popular story in church. If you've been in church for a long time, you've heard this story. If you've never been in church before, you've definitely heard this story as well. Um, But it's the story of the prodigal son. Now, what I want to do is a lot of times when we read through this story, a lot of times people think that the main character is the prodigal, right? It's the son who went off and squandered his living and came back and the father gave him grace and, you know, lives life happily ever after. Um, But the main character in this story, I think most people get it wrong. It's not the prodigal son. The main character in this story is the father. Um, Actually, in uh, 16 verses, the word prodigal is only mentioned once, and the word father is mentioned 20 times. So I want you to kind of get that in your head, in in your head space, before we read through this, that the main character of this story is the father. Now, before we read it, we kind of set it up for you. There's three main characters in the story. There's the younger brother who is the prodigal who goes off and he kind of lives this licentious lifestyle. And there's the older brother who stays with his dad. He stays back. And then there is the father. So let's pick it up in Luke 15, verse 11 through 12. And Jesus says this. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Give me the share of property that is coming to me. So I want to pause there, and Jesus is about to give us a picture of what sin really looks like. Because I think at the heart of sin, at the root of sin, deep down inside, the reason that we do things that we regret is because at the end of the day, we don't want God to be God. We want to be God. At the end of the day, how many of you guys have ever had this moment in your life when you say, Hey, God, look, I know you're up there, but you're not moving at my, my, my timeline, and you're not going as fast as I would like you to. So you know what? Just step back. I got this. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you just kind of, God, take the back seat. You're not moving as fast as I would like you to. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to take care of this relationship. I'm going to take care of this marriage. You put yourself in whatever situation it is. And this is what's happening. The prodigal son says, you know what? I don't want to sit underneath the father's authority anymore. I don't want to sit underneath his umbrella of protection. And I most definitely don't want to sit underneath um, his rules anymore. I want to do my own thing. Dad, give me the money. Let me go out and do my own thing. Now, if you're young enough in here, you would know that... um, that may seem reasonable in your head, right? Give me the money. Give, let me go out and do my own thing. Let me experience life. And then you get out in the real world and in about six months, you're like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> you go to Walmart and a gallon of milk is $5. And you're like, how am I going to live in this world, right? Things are a whole lot more expensive than you actually think. And here's the truth. Most people think that sin is just a list of horrible things that you do, but you have to get this. Sin at the heart is you wanting to be God. Sin at the heart of it is saying, God, I got this. I don't need you to be in control. I don't want you to govern my life. I got this. At the very heart of sin is you saying to God, I want to be God and I want to be in the driver's seat. And here's the truth. You can't be God of your own life when God steps into your life. And so this is the reason that so many people ignore God, because it's the only way that you can deal with it. You ignore God because when God steps in, you no longer can be God. 
And so it's why we, you know, some of us hesitate to come in the doors of a church or we hesitate to have conversations about Jesus because you know deep down inside when God comes in, he has to be God. And you no longer can be God of your own life. Now, as we keep continuing reading in the story, you're going to see this kind of twist or this kind of surprise that's about to happen. And it's in Luke 15, verse 13. And it says this, And he divided his property between them. Now, this is interesting in the story because according to Leviticus, which is a part of the law, the book of law, back then, if a Jewish boy ever disowned his father or was disrespectful to his father or anything, the law says the father had every right to kill that son. Every right to kill that son. Or he could do something else. He could gather up all the family members and he could say, hey, look, this is my son. He's rejected my rules. He's rejected my law. He's rejected me. Now everybody is going to disown him. And if you come into contact with him, you will suffer the same consequence that he does. Now it's interesting because the father does not do this to the son. He does not reject him. He does not stone him. He does not kill him. He actually gives him what he wants. And sometimes the most loving thing that God could do to us is actually give us what we want. And later on in life, we realize it wasn't really what we wanted. So sometimes the most loving thing that God could do to you is give you over to yourself. And a few years later, you realize, man, this is not what I wanted at all. See, I find sin promises a lot, but it always under delivers. Always. It promises so much good. You know, even in the context of marriage, you ever like just get in the heat of argument with your spouse and you're like, if I was just married to that person down the street, we would never do this. (laughs) We would never do this. And you begin to fantasize and you begin to think the grass must be greener on the other side. Man, I can't tell you how many people that have counseled that they thought that and all of a sudden they're in a second or third or fourth relationship and it's never what they thought it would be. But even if that's you, even if you're at that place today, here's the thing. God didn't kill you. He didn't stone you. He actually begins to give you what you want. So I want to make six points this morning. Number one, God loves you even when you reject him and even when you break his heart. So here's the thing. If we're going to understand what Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 really means, if we're going to learn to imitate God, if we're going to learn to walk in love, we first have to understand how much God actually loves us. So number one, God loves you even when you reject him and even when you break his heart. Meaning this, you could run as far as you possibly could go and he's still going to love you. He's still going to love you. Because there's no place that you can run, there's no place that you can hide, and you can never escape the love of Christ. Luke 15, verse 13 continues. It says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. So he wants to get as far as he can away from the father. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to his fields to feed pigs. And he was was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So point number two, God loves you even as you wander into the darkness. 
God loves you even as you wander into the darkness. And this is what sin often does. See, I don't know if you know anything about Jewish culture, but he compromised his very values, what he stood for. Because as a Jewish man, to even come into contact with a pig was considered unclean. They didn't eat pork, they didn't touch pigs, they didn't mess with them at all. And it drove him to such a place of despair, of such a place of desperation that he was willing to compromise anything that he had to do to get what he thought that he needed. The prodigal ultimately went to Vegas, right? He took all the money. He said, man, I'm going to live an awesome life. I'm going to do whatever I want. No rules, no boundaries. Nobody can tell me what to do. I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to be my own person. And here's the deal. Sin, the truth is, it is fun. The Bible says it is fun for a season. If somebody tells you it's not fun, they're not doing it right. (laughs) Okay? It can be fun for a season. But also, when that season is over, you find yourself wandering in darkness. Your friends are gone. Everything that you thought would bring you joy is gone. And now loneliness and despair and guilt and shame begin to set in. And now he's hungry and he finds himself eating with pigs. Now this should be a clear picture of what sin really does to us. Because the truth is sin will keep you at a place longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it will make you do things that you never said that you would do. You ever look at somebody and you say, man, I'll never do that. I'll never be that person. I'll never act that way. I'll never be that kind of parent. I'll never be that kind of wife. I'll never be that kind of son. I'll never be that kind of husband. I'll never treat my boss that way. But then you begin to allow sin to creep into your life. And then you find yourself being the very person that you said you would never be. Or, hey, my dad treated me like this. I'll never treat my kids this way. And you find yourself doing it. So I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you find yourself in a pigsty of broken relationships, of just financial turmoil. Wherever you're at, God loves you even as you wander into the darkness. And contrary to what you may believe... God loves you in your darkest moment. I would challenge some of you, if you find yourself just in this pit of despair right now, begin to read through the Psalms. Read through the Psalms. You know what I love about the Psalms is there is no attempt in any of the Psalms to just polish up reality. It is this just epic, like, showdown of, like, God, I'm angry at you. I'm frustrated at you. Or I don't know why this is going on. There's just this honesty about it. If you want to read an interesting one, go read Psalms 88. It's a very interesting psalm because every psalm, except for the psalm, uh, psalm 88, every psalm starts off with giving thanks to God. And then it, it cries out like, God, where are you? Where have you left me? And then it ends with giving thanks to God again. Psalms 88 starts off cursing God and ends cursing God. There's no absolve. And you know what I love about it is because it is this attempt to say, this is just where I'm at, God. Right now, all I see is darkness. I'll tell you one of the things that really just frustrates me, like uh, really frustrates me, is Christian cliches. It's why I can bear, my wife will tell you this, I'm not trying to knock you if you do, if you do, and it brings you closer to Jesus, more of it, okay? More power to you. I can't stand listening to Christian radio. 
I just, like, I just can't because all I hear is like Christian cliches. And the truth is there are moments in reality in times when we, are, when we feel like we're just in darkness. And the last thing that you want somebody to tell you is, brother, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Like, dude, shut up. <laughs> I don't see a light right now. It's dark. And I don't feel like God's holding me and God is coming to my rescue. But you know what I love about the Psalms? There's, this, there's no attempt to polish up reality. But even when you're in that moment, God loves you. And whether you feel it or not, God is pursuing you. God's love is not contingent on your feelings. It's not contingent on your feelings. It's not about how you feel in the morning. God's love is contingent on what he did almost 2,000 years ago for you on a cross. That's what it's contingent on. Luke fifteen seventeen. But when he came to himself, so when everything came back and was like, oh my God, what have I done? What kind of predicament have I put myself into? He says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I want you to notice something in this story. The father's love is what drew the son back home. The love of the father is what drew the son back home. So number three, God loves you as he brings you back. God loves you as he brings you back. Some of you, maybe you've drifted off far away. And maybe you're trying to get on this road of like recovery, of like restoring your relationship with Jesus. And you find like some bumps in the road. You're trying to make things right. You're trying to walk the straight and narrow path. And then you fall back into the same thing again. God still loves you. Listen, God does not demand perfection from you. He just wants you to keep moving forward. He just wants progress. He wants you to get back up and help you for a while. And the thing that I love about God is he's never judgmental on whatever kind of hurts and hangups you have. He'll say, hey, I'll supply the crutches for you a little while. And if you have to hobble along, that's okay. I'll be right there with you. God loves you even as he brings you back. So how many of you guys um, have ever lost your car keys? Anybody? Anybody ever lose your car keys? A few weeks, or this is a few months ago now, um, I had a meeting at like 8 o'clock in the morning. And we have five kids. We had this hanger right at our door where we hang our keys. And um, I'm the kind of person, like, I like to get dressed and ready, like, right before I have to go somewhere. And usually I do that so no kid, like, stains my shirt or anything like that. Okay, so I get dressed and ready. And I got about 10 minutes before I need to be at this meeting. And I go to grab my key on the hook. And like, I'm like, oh God, it's not there. <laughs> Where is this key? Now in this moment, you guys have probably been there. So we start looking around, looking for the car keys. We're throwing cushions off the couch, finding things that should never be in the couch. We're going, we're pushing furniture aside, trying. And then you're going to each kid. Did you take my car keys? I swear to God, if you took my car keys, son, it is going to be over for you. And then all of a sudden, I see my two-year-old, Peter. He's just kind of standing there. And I'm like, I know you know something, son, but you do not possess the mind power to tell me. Like, I know you know something. And he's just kind of standing there and he's by the trash can. He's like, I'm like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. So I begin to dig through the trash and I hear this jingle and I pick up my keys as they're covered in yogurt. And I head out the door. But do you know that desperation that you feel in that moment, that 
moment of just panic. That moment that says, listen, I'm going to search for my car keys until I find them because I am not content with walking to work. (laughs) Right? I want to find these car keys. Here's what I want you to understand. This is somewhat the feeling that God feels for his people when they're lost. And I would argue that God is willing to rearrange the circumstances of your life to draw you back to himself. He loves you so much, so much that he will do whatever he needs to do to draw you back. So if you find yourself in here this morning and you keep turning around a corner and there's still hopelessness and there's still despair and you're looking at things that you think will bring you joy, could it possibly be that God is actually loving you enough to try to bring you back to say, hey, there's nothing over here for you. There's nothing over here for you. There's no peace. There's no joy. There's no happiness that way. God loves us enough to rearrange the circumstances of your finances, to rearrange the circumstances of your relationships, to bring you back to himself. Continuing on, Luke 15, verse 18, says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, I love this line, his father saw him and felt compassion. While he was still a long way off. So we can joke all day about losing our car keys, but how many of you guys have ever lost a child? It's a much different feeling, isn't it? About a week ago, my wife does this Bible study on Tuesdays at our house. And uh, so it's been like this tradition. I get home and we put all the kids in the, I take all five kids. And I had this bright idea the other day. I'm like, I'm going to take all five kids to Chick-fil-A. So I bring all, we show up at Chick-fil-A. And as we get out of the car, you know, you're doing, if you have five kids, you're constantly counting one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. And we walk into Chick-fil-A and everybody is dressed up as like a cow. And I'm like, oh my God, what have I just walked into? There's, I'm not joking. In this tiny Chick-fil-A, there's at least a hundred people in there people walking around. I mean, it was madness, craziness. And so I'm like, man, what have I just walked into? So I keep counting one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. And I'm trying to order food. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. I'm like, oh my God, one, two, three, where's the fifth one? And I look around and there's Peter is nowhere to be found in this sea of people. And my heart just sinks. Like, if you've ever lost it, it's like this feeling. You can't even begin to describe it. So we begin to start looking all over. And in the middle of it, my kids have no idea what's going on. Eli's like, I'm hungry. Can we get some nuggets? I'm like, shut up, son. We can't find your brother, you know. (laughs) He's asking me for a shake and nuggets and fries. And I'm frantically searching. By this time, the people at Chick-fil-A realize what's going on. They're helping me look. And there's this glass wall that goes into the play area. And in the corner of my eye, I see Peter coming down the slide. (laughs) And I'm like, you sap-sucking little kid. So I walk in there. And like, you know that moment when that, as a mom or a dad, you're like, your life is over. I'm about to kill you. I'm about to kill you. But there's all these people in here. So I will, you will be okay. (laughs) And I grab him and I bring him back. But before we actually got him, there was this moment where I was literally maybe 30 seconds away from calling 911. 
Because as a parent, what do you think? Especially in today's culture, like somebody's taking him. So he's, he's gone somewhere. I'm never going to see him again. And there's all these thoughts, right, that begin to rush in your mind. Oh, my God, what has just happened? And it's this sinking feeling of my child is gone. And for every lost person, this is the same feeling that God feels. And this is why I love the line when it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. So here's what it would kind of look like. I would imagine it every single day that the son was away, that the father would come out on the front porch, he would grab his coffee, and he would sit, and he would wait. And he would sit, and he would wait. Day after day, as maybe the older brother would come up and put his shoulder on his dad and say, Dad, give it up, he's not coming back. It's over, he's not coming back. But you see, the father sees things in this split-screen kind of view. When we're so narrow-minded and single-minded, with, when we're in trouble, all we see is our pain and what we're going through, right? So the father may see the pain, but he also sees the other side. If he could just come back, there's hope, there's joy, there's peace, there's love. And so while he was still a long way off, the father felt compassion for him. The father wanted him. And as the son comes back, this leads me to point number four. God loves you as he extends radical grace to you and makes all things new. So here's what this means. And we're going to read this in the rest of the story in a moment. As the son comes back, can you just put yourself as a father in his shoes for a moment? Do you think that you would have some questions? Where have you been? What have you done with my money? (laughs) Where's my car? And here's the, the crazy thing about this grace that the father extends to the son. He doesn't accuse him and he doesn't ask one single question. He actually gives him three gifts. So he gives him a robe. And this symbolizes, hey, listen, you belong back to me and you belong to the family. No shame, no condemnation. Welcome home, son. Then he gives him a ring. This is a symbol of authority. Meaning the authority that I have, I now give it back to you. And then he gives him sandals. And I find this one very interesting. Sandals back then were a sign of wealth. Servants didn't wear sandals. Common people didn't wear sandals. Only sons wore sandals and people that had money. So this is what this means. This is what it it means like today in our culture. This was the father saying, you belong to me. You have my authority. And here's my debit card. Like all the money that I have now, I give it back to you. All the access that I have, you now have it again. There was not a single question. There is just this crazy grace that is is extended to the son. And I love this because the son requests the status of the servant and the father denies it and gives him the status of a son. Saying, dad, I just want to be a servant. I don't need to be a son. He says, no, you're my son. And in that moment, everything is instantly forgiven without question. And this is what you have to understand. This is the kind of grace that the Father gives to each and every one of us. Because religion tells us what? We've got to work it off, right? <laughs> God, I've done so much evil against you that, I mean, I guess I'll go back to church and I guess I'll hang my head for a little while. And I'll just work and work and work until I can earn my way back into your kingdom. 
God says, look, if you come back to me right now, I'll extend this crazy grace to you. Instead of shame, instead of humiliation, there are robes, there is honor, and there's a party. (laughs) It's crazy, isn't it? And this is what God would say to some of us today. Even though you may be living a reckless lifestyle, if you choose in this moment right now to come back to him as God draws you back to himself, he will receive you. Because let me, let me ask you a question. Who pays for the son's reckless living? It wasn't the son. The father absorbs it. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He says, I'll pick up the tab. <laughs> that's crazy, isn't it? That is how much God loves us. And this is why Ephesians 1 through 2 is so important. You cannot imitate God and you cannot walk in love until you understand how graciously he loves you. You know, the word prodigal actually means uh, recklessness. And I think the term actually applies more to the father than it does the son. Because the father recklessly loves you. And he's willing to do anything that he has to do to pull you back. And this is ultimately, at the end of the day, what the cross is. Do you realize how significant the cross is? It's not just a decoration that you wear around your neck. Or a picture that we frame on a wall. Ultimately, it's a declaration of Jesus saying, I will go as far as I need to go to bring you back even at the expense of my son's life. That's what I need to do. Whatever I need to do to pull you back, I'll do it. Luke 15, 21 through 24. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and bring a ring and put it on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this was my son who was dead and he is alive again. He is lost and he is found. And they begin to celebrate. So here's what this means. There is no sin that is too wicked. No recklessness that is too severe. No shame that is too great. No pigsty that is too filthy. God wants to lovingly draw you back to himself regardless of the state of your life right now. You know, I had a guy, um, it was about six months ago, and uh, I've been inviting this guy to church for a long time. And he said, he says to me, man, I I can't go to church. I'm like, why, man? He's like, well, dude, I mean, if I go in church, like, I'm still going to be buzzing, man. (laughs) Like, I'm like still going to be completely hung over. I'm still going to, I'm like, "I, I don't care. God doesn't care about the life state that you're in right now. As long as you're saying, God, look, this is where I'm at. I'm going to get honest with where I'm at. And God, I need some help. It's not like it's contingent on how well you've cleaned yourself up. And a lot of us play this game. We go back and forth of like, well, I'll go to church when my lifestyle is a little bit better. I'll get serious about my relationship with Jesus when I've cleaned some stuff up. How's that working? You can't clean anything up on your own. It's the whole reason that we need community. It's the whole reason that we need Jesus. It's the whole reason we need family, as we talked about last week. 
You don't know how to clean yourself up on your own. The mess you're in right now is because you got yourself in the mess. And you definitely don't know how to get out of it. And the the lie that we tell ourselves over and over and over again is just between me and God and eventually we'll work it out. No, you won't. You need to invite other people into that. And for some of us, we just need to get honest with where we're at. But you also have to understand that your future is not defined by your past mistakes. Because if the, if the cross and the resurrection are true, there's nothing that would make God love you any more, and there's nothing that would make God love you any less. Let's continue reading the story. This is in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, for these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him? And the father says, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. And he said to him, Son, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found, and it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. So the story is about to shift now. So Jesus is about to not only just address the, we- the reckless sinner, now he's about, to address the way- he's about to address the religious. And so point five is this. God loves you even when you're too proud to receive his grace. God loves you even when you're too proud to receive his grace. Because maybe you've grown up in church your whole life. Maybe you've heard the Jesus talk your whole life. And you say, you know what, I've heard it all, I've done it all, I've lived a good life, I'm good. See, the brother on the surface looks like the opposite of the younger son, doesn't he? He didn't go off, he didn't squander the property, he didn't spend the money recklessly, he's good, he's upright. There's a subtle detail in the story. He's outside of the house, meaning this. The brother watched the father. He's seen him go through all the pain of dealing with it. He knows the right words to say, but the truth is he does not have the heart of the father. And a lot of times as Christians, this is the trap that we can fall into. We come to church. We know how to say the right things. You know, when you're greeted at the door, how is everything? Oh, blessed and highly favored. I'm great. No, you're not. Just be honest. We know how to clean it all up. We know how to polish it up. We know how to look the part. We know how to play the part. We know how to say the right things. We know how to wear the right things. Everything's got to be perfect. An example that I've used over and over is it's kind of like a guitar. Meaning, I can put my fingers in all the appropriate places to play the right chord. And if that guitar is not tuned, when I strum it, it's still going to sound terrible. And this is what happens to a lot of religious people. We come in church, we hear the sermons, we hear the messages, we listen to the Christian music, we know the Christian lingo, we know the right words to say, but let tragedy happen, let hardship happen, and you're out of tune because it's never gotten in your heart. 
You know the right words to say, but tough times come and you are lost. God, why would, it, why would you allow this to happen to me? I've served you my whole life. I've done this my whole life. You know what I love about the gospel? There's only one thing that God actually promises you. Suffering. (laughs) Every single one of the disciples, except for one, was murdered. And the other one didn't get out so well either. He got stuck on an island. (laughs) And unless you're Bear Grylls, that's not a good thing. (laughs) Every single one. Do you know that the name of Jesus was made much of and was spread to the ends of the earth through suffering? The disciples ran up through different regions of Eastern Europe and all through India and Africa and all that. It's because they were fleeing people that were trying to kill them. Therefore, the gospel began to spread to the ends of the earth. Do you ever notice that religious people can be some of the meanest people on the face of the earth? And it's because they know all the right things to say, but they don't have the heart of the Father. They don't know how to offer compassion. They don't know how to offer empathy. Even in light of our cultural circumstance right now with police officers and black men and women, there's this tension, right? And rather than Christians learning how to love and offer a shoulder to cry on, what do we have? We have an opinion. Let let me put it to you this way. Let's say you have a child, and that child passes away in a car accident. And I show up to your funeral as a pastor, and I say, you know what? This is a sad thing that happened, but you know, if your child wasn't in that car, he'd still be alive today. Would you want to punch me in the face? (laughs) Right? That's what a lot of Christians do in the middle of this cultural crisis. See, in the middle of tragedy, regardless of what your opinion is, our job is to have empathy and compassion towards people. To be a shoulder, to cry on, and to try to enter into men and women's pain. And we don't show up to people's funeral and say, well, if you wouldn't have been there, it wouldn't happen. We enter in. We offer empathy. We offer compassion, regardless of your opinion. But the reason that we don't know how to do this is because we don't understand the love of Christ. Because we've never experienced it for ourselves. The reason we don't know how to offer compassion, the reason that we don't know how to walk in love is because all we know is just words. We know the right things to say, but we don't know it deep within our hearts. And that's because religion cleans you up on the outside, but it leaves you a wreck on the inside. Religion is kind of like this. I have... This is a few years back, but my seven-year-old and my five-year-old, Eli and Isaac, every night they'll take a bath or a shower together. And in my house, we have a brown towel and blue towels. And they're always arguing who can get the blue towel. Nobody wants the brown towel because the brown towel is the color of poop. <laughs> so, so a few years back, Eli is, Eli is seven years old now, and he is a fantastic arguer. He gets it from his mother. (laughs) He is, I'm serious. If this kid is a lawyer one day, it would not shock me. But he's he's good at arguing. And he's arguing with Isaac because Isaac always manages to get out of the bath first and score the blue towel. And it leaves Eli just yelling, screaming, can't believe that he's stuck with the poo towel. 
okay? And so one night I walk into the bathroom. I'm trying to have this good dad moment with my son. I said, son, first of all, it's a towel. (laughs) It does not matter what color it is. It gets you dry. Second of all, you know what Jesus says? He says, the last shall be first in heaven. And his eyes kind of pop open. He's like, wow, really? So a few nights later, I'm sitting on the couch, and I hear the argument break out, and I hear Eli scream at the top of his lungs, Isaac, you're going to be last in heaven! <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, son. So here's, what, here's what happened, though. He heard my words, but he didn't understand my heart. Right? He heard my words, but he didn't understand the heart of what I was saying. It didn't sink down. And a lot of times that's what happens to us. And we come in here, and I think it's just like a knee-jerk response sometimes. We're like, amen, good job, great sermon. And we walk out of here and nothing changes. Because we don't process, we don't internalize, we don't think deeply about anything. And it's probably the reason, because I find this to be true in my own life. I'm not trying to say anything that I haven't done for myself. We can hear the greatest sermon in the world and then walk out here and subconsciously not even know that we're doing it. We go out here and we numb. We get on our phones. We sit down and watch TV. We distract ourselves with anything possible not to think deeply about life. It's why when your spouse tries to have a deeper conversation with you, you get angry. Because you know that now you've got to think deeply about things. And you don't like that. You don't want to do it. It doesn't feel good. But here's the truth. God loves you even when you're too proud to receive his grace. Even if you think that you're at a place of like, you know what, I deserve it. God should pour his love upon me. But at the end of the day, this is religion. This is cleaning up the exterior without doing any heart surgery on the inside. And God wants to change your heart. All throughout the Gospels, God was after one simple thing, your heart. Your heart. And according to Jesus, there's two people that miss the Gospel. The wayward sinner and the religious person. The reckless one living this crazy lifestyle and the person that has tried to clean up everything on their own. They both miss Jesus. And not one is better than the other. So this leads me to the last point. You can choose to stay outside of God's love forever if you want to. It's kind of an abrupt point, but it's also because the, the story ends abruptly. Like, does, does the older son reconcile? Does he deal with his anger? It just ends abruptly. The story never resolves, and it never resolves because the story in and of itself is an invitation for you and I to begin to evaluate our own hearts. Who do I identify with? Am I the prodigal son or am I the older brother? And whatever one you are, God wants to pour out his love upon you. Now, in no way, shape, or form am I trying to say whatever kind of lifestyle that you're living, if it breaks God's heart, I'm not saying that God's saying, good job, just keep doing that, and I'll love you anyway. He still loves you no matter where you're at. He's not pleased and happy with what you're doing. I'm not trying to make light of sin in any kind of way. 
Sin is such a big deal that God sent his one and only son. That's how big of a deal it is to him. So let me talk to two kinds of people this morning as we bring this to a close. Some of you in here, you're, maybe you're in here for the first time. Maybe you're in, in church for the first time in a long time. And you're like, look, man, I think God's cool. I'm just, I'm not crazy about this whole church thing. I'm not crazy about this whole Jesus thing. Because you know why? Because Christians are just weird. <laughs> They're just weird. And I don't, I don't want to be weird. Here's the truth. They were weird people before they got saved. Okay. <laughs> they just were. And if they're really weird, it's probably because they're really religious sometimes. So wherever you're at on the fence, like if you you feel like you're on the fence right now, I feel like something's got to shift in my life, but I'm not so sure about this whole church thing. Listen, I just want to encourage you, just try it. Chances are it's probably a whole lot more than you actually think it is. And I can just, as personally for, for me, Without the church, I would not be where I'm at today. I would not have, and I'm not saying as a pastor, just in my walk with Jesus. I would not have the level of intimacy that I do have with Jesus without the church. Jesus puts so much emphasis on the church. He calls it the hope of the world. Plan A, there is no plan B. If you want to know Jesus, you have to do it through the confines of the church. And listen, you can convince yourself all day, man, I can just sit at home, have my own personal relationship with Jesus, watch the most incredible preachers on TV. But at the end of the day, when you go through a trial and you go through suffering, there's no guy on that TV that is going to come to your house and cry with you. It's just not going to happen. You need a body of believers that can come alongside of you that say, you know what? I've been exactly where you're at and I know it hurts and I know it's painful and I know there's some doubts and I know there's some questions, but I've been there too. Look, God's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your concerns. He's not afraid of your doubts. And then for the other people that sit in here today, you said, man, I'm, I'm the one that's been running away. <laughs> Feel like I'm the prodigal. I want you to know that the Father will rearrange the circumstances of your life to draw you back at any cost necessary. And He wants to give you an opportunity today to meet Him. Wherever you're at, He wants to extend just this radical, crazy, gracious love to you. And He wants you to experience it, He wants you to encounter it. He doesn't want you to just have it up here as head knowledge. Yeah, no, God loves me. He wants you to experience it. So now let's read Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 again, and hopefully it reads a little bit different this time. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We can imitate Christ because we know of how loved we actually are and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, it's much easier to imitate God and to walk in God's love when you really understand the love that's behind it. When you really understand that there is this deep affection, there is this deep yearning in the Father's heart to know you, to want to be intimate with you, to want to have a relationship with you. It changes the perspective. It changes the landscape of how we begin to see things. 
So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what your struggles are, but I'm confident that God does. He knows where you're at. He knows the doubts you have. He knows that some of you come in here and you hear about this crazy love and you hear about this God who extends this radical grace to you, but you're still telling yourself, yeah, that's great, but not for me. God wants to speak to you today. The one that's saying, yeah, God does everything for everybody else, but I've just never personally felt that. God wants to minister to you today. He leaves the 99 to find the one. He leaves the 99 to find the one. So every head bowed, every eye closed in this room. If you're in here today and you say, Pastor Zach, honestly, man, I'm, I'm struggling just with accepting and receiving God's love. I've done some things that I regret. If that's you in here, would you just simply lift your hand? Thank you, thank you. Many of you, many of you. If you're in here today where you say, man, I don't know Jesus. I've never experienced him. I've never had a relationship with him, but I would love to know him today. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, I pray. God, whatever spectrum, whatever side of the scale these people are on, God, if they're far from you or if they're just struggling to receive your love, God, I pray that today that you would pour out your radical grace upon them. God, whatever walls that they've built up, God, that you would begin to break those down, they would begin to encounter you for the first time. God, that it would not just be a sermon. God, it would not just be words that we read on a screen or on a page, but God, that we would encounter you as a real living father that wants to have a relationship with us, that loves us, that pursues us. Father, help us to encounter that. In Jesus' name, amen.